Good morning, church family. You guys doing well? You excited to be in church? Come on, make some noise. Woo! It's been an incredible Sunday so far, man. The presence of God is thick up in here. It's powerful. I believe God wants to continue to do a work in our hearts as we wrap up this series. If you are new with us here today, my name is Pete. I have the distinct honor and privilege of serving as the lead pastor, and we're excited to have you with us today. And to my church family tuning in online, uh, whether you're here in western New York or somewhere around the country or even around the world, I just want to say hello to our global Life Church family. If you're tuning in live or tuning in later at uh, you know another time watching this podcast, pray this message is an encouragement to you guys. Before I dive into the message today, I want to just announce a couple of things that are especially dear to my heart. And the first is regarding foster care. I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but my wife and I have decided to become foster parents, and we have a desire to adopt children out of the foster care system. And so as we talk about relationships that are complicated, I'm not sure that there is anything quite as complicated as navigating the foster care system and the relationships that you have to have with birth parents and the agency workers and the children and all of that. But it is really my heart It's my conviction that the church is God's plan A to care for widows and orphans. And we have largely relegated that to the state, but I believe the church needs to step up and be more involved in providing care. And I recognize that not every child in the foster care system is an orphan, but for one reason or another, they have been removed from their homes and need an environment, a safe, loving, nurturing environment where they can continue to grow and develop and Uh, It's our hearts that we want to be involved with that. So we started our classes a couple weeks ago. We should be certified by May or so and have a home study. And then we'll see what God does with placing children in our home. But we wanted to extend the opportunity for anyone else in our church who wants to learn a little bit more about what's involved and what the need is. The agency that Kelly and I have partnered up with is located right here in Western New York called Kids Peace. They're a smaller organization, which means they can provide more individualized attention and care. And they have offered to come to the church and answer any questions that you may have. So on Monday, March 14th at 7 p.m., just a couple Mondays from now, they're going to be here. And I would love to invite anyone who has even had the smallest inkling of either questions or desire to be involved. Then you can ask your questions and learn a little bit more about how you might be able to get involved. And so I look forward to seeing you guys at some of that Uh, at that meeting on the 14th at 7 o'clock. The next thing I want to mention before I dive into the message is just to address what's happening in our world today. Obviously, we all know, unless you've been living under a rock this week, that Russia invaded Ukraine uh, on Wednesday, I believe it was, and war is happening. And uh, I wanted to take an opportunity, before we do or say anything else in the service, to just spend some time as a church family to go before the Lord in prayer and lift up our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world who are facing this this tragedy. And for those of you that follow me on social media, I posted a prayer, a, a series of slides that if you don't know how to pray, Becky mentioned it during our time of worship, sometimes the, the best thing you can do is just to speak the name of Jesus over that situation But I found a prayer that was written by Peter Grieg and the good folks at 24-7 Prayer, which is an international, interdenominational um, parachurch ministry that has a vision to revive the church and rewire culture through nonstop night and day prayer. And what I want to do is I 
put, I'm going to put some images up on the screen that I'm going to read through these prayers. And the reason I'm going to read it and not just pray organically is because the way that he has written these prayers is all, it's praying scripture. And when you don't know how to pray, a lot of times the best thing to do is just pull in scripture and just pray scripture over situations. And this is a, there's a spot in these prayers where it's like a call and response. And the word for it is Kyrie Ilison, which means Lord have mercy. So I'm going to pray through these things. And after each one, I want you to simply respond with Lord have mercy. Some of you that grew up in more uh, liturgical backgrounds might be familiar with a prayer that's read from the stage and then a response that comes from the people. And I know that this is not typically the way we do things here, but I wanted to switch things up and have all of us engage in these very scripture-based prayers over the situation that's happening right now in the Ukraine. So I'm going to just dive right in. I want to encourage you guys to agree and pray with me. Father God, King of all nations, we cry out to you now for the people of Ukraine. We ask you to rescue those who are vulnerable from the hands of their enemies, that they may live without fear before you all their days. Lord, have mercy. Lord of lords and prince of peace, our politicians are predicting the biggest war in Europe since 1945, and we simply cry out to you urgently to write another story in our time. Thwart the dark machinations of evil men. Give wisdom beyond human wisdom to peacemakers seeking an equitable and less violent way. May politicians exercise the wisdom from above, which is peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, and full of mercy. Holy Spirit, we pray for the church in Ukraine, a nation in which 70% of the population call themselves Christian. Give our many brothers and sisters in that nation courage in this crisis that they may continue to proclaim the good news of your kingdom, bind up broken hearts, and bring comfort to all who mourn. You, Lord, make wars cease to the end of the earth. You break bows, shatter spears, and burn shields with fire. And so we ask you now to save the lives of many people in Ukraine. Make a peace that is strong and not weak. De-escalate this crisis. We hear of wars and rumors of wars, but you, Lord, are our rock, our fortress, and our deliverer. Our hope is in you. And so we address the nations now in the name of Jesus, we say, be still and know God. He is exalted among the nations, and he shall be exalted in the earth. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, grant us peace. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I want to continue to just encourage you to keep praying those prayers. Keep praying for uh, Russia and Ukraine, that God's will would be done and that he would cause that conflict to cease. And want to let you know as well that as a church, we are investigating ways that we can be more directly involved, even through financially supporting the church on the ground in the Ukraine, the churches in neighboring nations who are receiving hundreds of thousands of refugees who are escaping the country right now to, you know, to flee the war. And so uh, earlier this week, Bethany Mazur, our outreach director, was in contact with another pastor in the city who has uh, direct connections with pastors in the Ukraine. And uh, they, we are waiting to hear back from them about ways that we can uh, financially support to make sure that our money goes to meeting the need. 
Um, we also have a member of our congregation who has a friend that serves at YWAM in Belarus, which is in a neighboring nation. And so um, maybe as early as next Sunday, I will have more information for you about ways if your heart is leading you to maybe even give financially to support our brothers and sisters in that part of the world. Um, and so I just want to encourage you to be praying about how God would have you be involved with that. We are uh, continuing and concluding, really, our series on It's Complicated, series on relationships. Uh, complicated probably is an accurate descriptor for many of the relationships that we might have, whether it's with parents or children or, you know, neighbors or friends. Uh, but today, to wrap things up, I wanted to tackle the very real and culturally relevant topic of toxic relationships. It's a buzzword in our culture today, and there's a lot of things that can become complicated, that can become toxic, right? A city can become toxic. Um, there is a city in Oklahoma called the most toxic city or most toxic town in America known as Pitcher, Oklahoma. In its heyday in the 1920s, it wasn't a super large city, but it had about 20,000 people. It was a bustling town, and uh, the population of that town today is zero, it is literally a ghost town with all of the buildings that used to be there still up, but it's a ghost town because of how toxic it had become from zinc mines and lead mines that brought pop, um, pollution into the environment. And so everyone left town because of, I think it was over 65% of the kids had lead poisoning. Like it was horrible. So a city can become toxic. An environment can become toxic through pollution of different kinds. A culture can become toxic. And I think right now in America, we are battling toxicity in our culture. Just look at the social media landscape out there. To me, Facebook is a toxic wasteland. When you look at the arguments, I mean, please, people, can we refrain from engaging in arguments with comments on people's posts? It is not productive. It is toxic. Have a face-to-face -face conversation with someone. But in the same way that a city or an environment or a culture can become toxic, we can also experience toxicity in our relationships. Do you know that on Amazon right now, there are over 2,000 books that deal directly even, either, either with the title or with the subject matter on toxic relationships. 2,000 books to choose from if you're wanting to know how to handle toxic relationships. So it's a buzzword in our culture today, but I just want to issue a word of caution before we proceed any further to encourage my church to be careful about how quickly you throw that term out. So many people so flippantly and quickly say, yeah, I have a toxic boss. I work in a toxic environment. I have a toxic friend. I have a toxic marriage. And we flippantly throw this word out there, but be careful because you are in essence labeling someone. And listen, there can be dysfunctions or unhealthy dynamics in a relationship that don't necessarily mean it's a toxic relationship. So just be careful about how quickly you label someone as being toxic because you can do damage to that person. While every relationship goes through its ups and downs, a toxic relationship is one that is consistently unpleasant and draining for the people in it, to the point where the negative moments outweigh and outnumber the positive moments in the relationship. A toxic relationship is one that makes you feel unsupported, misunderstood, demeaned, or even attacked. On a basic level, any relationship that makes you feel worse 
rather than better can be a toxic relationship or can become toxic over time. Toxic relationships can exist in just about any context, from the playground to the boardroom to the bedroom. Many of you may be dealing with toxic relationships in your family, extended family. Toxic relationships are mentally, emotionally, and possibly even physically damaging to one or both people in the relationship. Now, in preparation for the message, I kind of wanted to look up and Googled what are the warning signs of a toxic relationship. And there were a number number of articles that came up, but one particular one listed 14 different red flags that might indicate you're in a toxic relationship. Now, this list certainly isn't exhaustive, and in some ways, it's overgeneralized because I don't want you to, like, pick out one of these things and say, oh, that's, that's present in this relationship. That must be toxic. Again, be careful about how quickly you throw this term out. But if you have a good percentage of these factors at play in a relationship, it could be a sign that it is or is becoming a toxic relationship. So really quickly, the 14 red flags were a lack of support, toxic communication, envy or jealousy, controlling behaviors, resentment, dishonesty, constantly lying, patterns of disrespect, negative financial behaviors, constant stress, ignoring your needs, lost relationships. If you're losing other relationships because of this particular relationship, that could be a sign. A lack of self-care when you just stop caring for yourself. Stop taking care of yourself. Hoping for change, where you're constantly hoping things will get better, but things never seem to change. And then lastly, walking on eggshells. Those 14 red flags could be indications that a relationship is toxic. And in much the same way that last week, I couldn't possibly address all of the different factors uh, and questions associated with singleness or the different subcategories of singleness. Similarly, today, I'm not going to possibly be able to address all 14 red flags or all of the different types of toxic relationships that you might find yourself in. But I can today give you one story and three words that I believe the Lord wants to give to you today that will help you begin to take a step towards healing toxic relationships. I want to look at Uh, an event that took place between Moses and the Israelites in Exodus chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there now, whether it's an electronic device or your physical Bible, Exodus chapter 15. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context so you understand what's, what's happened up to this point. So in the chapters leading up to what we're about to read, the Israelites had just experienced a miraculous deliverance from Egypt where God, through 10 plagues that he performed, 10 miracles. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt miraculously. They were set free. They were delivered by Moses. And so after witnessing those 10 miracles, they come to the Red Sea. And it feels like an impossible situation. You know, they've got the Red Sea in front of them. The Egyptian army is following behind them because as soon as Pharaoh let them go, he immediately kind of changed his mind and said, what have I done? I've got to go. Let's go get them again. And so another miracle takes place. I think most of us are familiar with the story where God parts the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites walk across on dry ground 
And when the last Israelite is safely on the other side, after Egypt had decided to try and pursue them, God caused the waters of the Red Sea to close back, drowning the entire nation or the entire army of Egypt. And so it says right before what we're about to read that the Israelites, they basically have a party. You know, they're singing, they're dancing on the shores of the Red Sea like God has done some amazing things and they're all happy. And then it says that they travel three days before they run out of water. And that's where we find ourselves. In Exodus 15, verse 23, it says that they came to Marah, but they couldn't drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. And that's why it was named Marah, which actually means bitter in the original language. So they basically came to a toxic lake. And the people began to grumble to Moses saying, what are we going to drink? So I want you to notice that the toxicity of the water kind of reflected the toxicity of the hearts of the Israelites who reverted to grumbling and complaining. And when you read through the story of the Old Testament, that is a common thread and theme that you see with the Israelites is just grumbling and complaining. There was a toxic relationship, in essence, between Moses and the Israelites. And so Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he threw that tree into the water, the water became drinkable. God did a miracle. Moses threw this, this log or this tree into the water, and, it be, and God turned the bitter waters pure. He purified it and made it drinkable. And I believe God's going to do the same miracle here today. Some of you have toxic relationships that are so bitter, whether it's with a parent or an estranged child or a neighbor or a coworker or a friend that you think is so broken, there is no way possible that this thing could be made pure again, that this thing could become sweet again. But I'm telling you, in the same way that the song that we sang earlier this morning, there is nothing that our God can't do. There is no mountain that he can't move. So today, I believe God wants to do a miracle in bringing healing to some toxic Toxic relationships today with a miracle tree. I want to talk to you about a miracle tree. By the way, in the very next verse in this passage that I didn't read, God reveals himself to the people of Israel for the first time with a new name. He says, I am the Lord, your healer, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, your healer. And a lot of times it takes a toxic situation or a toxic relationship for us to come to know God as our healer, the Lord, your healer. In the same way that the bitter waters of Marah brought out the toxic behavior of the Israelites, it is the toxicity of our sin that brings out the behaviors that lead towards relationships becoming toxic. Thank God though that there is another tree that deals with the toxicity of our sin. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm thankful for the cross of Jesus Christ, the tree upon, we, upon which Jesus died that deals with all of the toxicity of our sin that contributes to all of the behaviors that makes a relationship toxic. And if we will put, and if we will throw the cross of Jesus into the toxic relationships of our lives, I believe there is no relationship that he cannot heal. And I believe he wants to do that for some of you here today. So I wanna give you three things today out of this story that uh, the cross of Christ will enable you to throw into whatever toxic relationship you're dealing with. Three principles or three trees, if you will, that when added to the bitter waters of toxic relationships can and will bring healing if you will apply them. 
And I'm just kind of forewarning you, some of these are going to be completely counterintuitive to what you think are necessary to, to bring healing to a relationship. But the first one is the tree of honor. The tree of honor. In order to heal a toxic relationship, the first thing we have to do is begin to honor the other person. To honor means to assign value to someone or to esteem someone. And honor can be displayed in word, in thought, or in action. But all honor flows from a heart that reverentially fears the Lord. Honor is is basically overlooking an offense and seeing the value that a person has. And honor is a largely forgotten virtue in our culture today. And I believe the church needs to rediscover and begin to walk in honor. We need to understand that God is a God of honor. His kingdom is a kingdom of honor. He calls us to be a people of honor. Some of you are like, wait a minute, how do I honor someone whose behavior is toxic? They've not done anything honorable. What I want you to understand today is that we can honor a person whose behavior is dishonorable. And we do this by looking past their behavior, looking past the exterior, looking kind of through the person, past their position, past their gender, past their race, past their religion. There is no exterior thing that should keep me from assigning value and honor to a person who has been made in the image of God. We look past the exterior and we look at the image of God in the person because every person is made in the image of God and has intrinsic worth and value and dignity. And we, even if, even if their behavior is toxic, can still assign value and honor a person who has been made in his image. Even if the relationship isn't yet in a healthy place, we can still honor them. Honor is like gravity in a relationship. Without gravity, there's nothing to bring people together in the relationship. And if I could just speak to marriage for a second and apply this to marriage, husbands, I'm just gonna say this. You need to begin honoring your wives a little bit better. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Since they, why do we show them honor? because they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. They may be usually physically weaker than you, not always, but at the ground in front of the cross, there is equal footing. They are co-equals with us and co-heirs with us of the grace of life. And some of you men, are, your prayers aren't being answered because you're not honoring your wives the way scripture commands us to honor them. And some of you are like, you don't understand. She's just a toxic nag. All she does is nag, nag, nag all day long. I'm not going to honor her. Wait a second. No, she is a woman made in the image of God. She is a daughter of the king. She is a princess of the king of kings and lord of lords. And you need to honor her as such. And some of you wives are like, amen, preach it, pastor. That's just one verse. It goes both ways. The six verses prior to that, Peter actually is speaking to wives and saying, wives, you need to honor and respect your husbands. You don't understand, I'm not gonna honor him. He's just a lazy bum. All he does is drink beer and play video games all day. I'm not gonna honor him. No, 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 he's a man made in the image of God. And even if he hasn't yet stepped into his true calling as the spiritual head of your home, 
He is still a man loved by God who has a divine purpose and calling on his life, and you need to honor the image of God in him. In fact, Peter says in, that, in those couple of verses that some wives who have unbelieving husbands, your husbands can actually become saved by observing your conduct and the way you honor your husbands. There's a lot of weight in the way we honor other people. And the church has to rediscover this. We, get, we gotta begin walking in this. It's not about waiting for a person to act honorably before we honor them. We honor them because God's word tells us to. The Bible actually says that we should be competitive with one another when it comes to showing honor to each other. Did you know that? Paul in Romans 12.10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. It's really, I think, the only place in scripture where we're allowed to compete with one another and who's better. Am I better at showing honor to people or are you better? Like we should try to outdo each other. So when you've got a husband trying to outdo his wife and showing honor to her and a wife trying to outdo her husband and showing honor to him, that to me is the basis for healing to come into any kind of a marriage. And this isn't just to marriage. Like that verse in Romans is a, char- is a charge to all Christians that all of us are to try and outdo one another in showing honor. We are to honor everyone. Peter actually says that. Back to First Peter in the chapter before where he addressed husbands and wives, he said this, First Peter 2.17, honor everyone. We are to honor everyone. The first step at healing any toxic relationship is to honor the other person. And now notice it says, Honor the emperor too. Now I may step on some toes here, but to me, one of the most toxic things that we have in the church culture right now is the nonchalant way that people of faith dishonor people in political office that they disagree with. And this happens across the board. Both sides do this. Some of my conservative brothers and sisters in the room have no problem flippantly and nonchalantly dishonoring whether it's President Biden or Governor Kathy Hochul or fill in the blank, anybody on the other side of the aisle as you who has a different position as you that you disagree with, we think nothing of just calling them names, dishonoring them, but, and the other side does it too. Some of my liberal brothers and sisters, like when President Trump was in office, some of the things I saw that you post on social media is disgusting. So no one's safe in the room here. Both sides do it. We've got to get better, church. That is conduct unbecoming followers of Jesus Christ whose allegiance is to a higher king. We are to be people of honor. Do you know when Peter says honor the emperor, do you know who the emperor was at the time? It was Nero. Nero was perhaps the worst emperor in Rome's history. Do you know Nero burned Rome to the ground and blamed Christians for it? And to punish them, he would go and capture them and dip them in oil, light them on fire, and put them on poles to light his garden at the palace. Nero was a sick, twisted, evil man, and yet Peter tells us that we are to honor the emperor. His conduct was not honorable, but that doesn't change the fact that we as followers of Christ are to honor everyone, including and especially people in authority, because Peter knew that all authority has been established by God. It doesn't mean we have to agree with everything that someone who's in a political office says, but listen, we can disagree without dishonoring, and that's where we need to get better. We can disagree without dishonoring. 
We honor everyone. Christians got to get better at this. Because listen, here's the thing. Christ honored us by taking our sin upon himself and becoming sin for us, becoming a curse. Scripture says that cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. Blessing came from the bitterness and toxicity of sin because Jesus put the tree of honor right in the middle of our toxic sin. He honored us that way. So someone's behavior doesn't have to be honorable for us to show honor to them. Honor is the foundation. Respect is earned, but honor is given. We honor the image of God in everyone. So once we have the foundation of honor laid, then upon that we can add the next tree, which is the tree of trust. The tree of trust. Honor may be given no matter what, but trust takes time. Trust takes time, and trust is easier for some people than it is for others. Right on one end of the spectrum, you've got some people that are very trusting. They kind of openly just trust everyone. They assume the best, believe the best, and you might say that these people are maybe a little gullible and oftentimes wind up being hurt or taken advantage of because of how quickly and easily they trust people. But on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people over here who are suspicious of everyone. They don't trust anybody but themselves. We kind of assume the worst. And I think that's human nature for a lot of us is to be a little suspicious of what people's motives are. Stephen Covey in his book, The Speed of Trust, says this. We judge ourselves by our intentions and everyone else by their behavior. And that's true, isn't it? We tend to judge ourselves by our intentions. We know that we've got good intentions, but when we see other people's behavior, we, we make a judgment on their character based on how they act. For example, like if I'm late to a meeting, there's a good reason for it. I'm a responsible person. I'm respectful, but maybe there was traffic on the way. Maybe the baby threw up before I left the house and I had to stay an extra couple of minutes to help out. But when someone else is late to a meeting, what do we do? Man, that person's so rude. How disrespectful. They're such a lazy bum. I can't believe they're always late to a meeting. We assume the worst, right? We judge other people by their actions, but we want to be judged by our intentions. So whenever we see a flaw or a failure, whenever there's been a breach of trust, there's usually a gap, a gap between what maybe what somebody said they were going to do and what they actually did. And when that happens, we have a choice to make when it comes to the relationship. We can either suspect the worst and place suspicion in that relationship and watch the relationship deteriorate because we're bringing accusation, or we can choose to place trust in that gap and try to understand the person before we place blame. The way we might approach that situation is after the meeting, go up to the person and say, hey, I trust you. I believe you're a person of integrity. Help me understand what happened that led to you being late today. Do you see the difference in saying like, you're such a lazy bum versus like, help me understand. One way you're building trust in the relationship is getting stronger because you're assigning value to that person. And the other way you're tearing the relationship down because they feel the accusation. They feel the judgment. It's the tree of trust. But again, I want to clarify that this takes time. What I'm not saying, what I don't want you to hear me saying is that I'm not saying to blindly trust everyone. Toxic relationships are toxic for a reason. And it's usually because a person 
has betrayed or violated your trust multiple times. So I want you to hear me on this. People who want to be trusted have to show themselves to be trustworthy. So it's okay to have healthy boundaries with people who have violated or betrayed your trust. So as scripture says, this is where we need to be wise as serpents, but gentle as doves. Eventually, though, to heal a toxic relationship, someone has to take a step, even if it's a small step, with appropriate boundaries in place to do what Ronald Reagan says in trust but verify. Remember when the Cold War was de-escalating and Reagan and Gorbachev were negotiating the terms of that de-escalation and they were decommissioning the nuclear weapons and uh, Reagan suggested that he wanted to send American, a team of American inspectors to make sure that Gorbachev was actually doing what he said he was going to do. And Gorbachev was like, well, you don't trust us? And that's where Reagan's famous phrase came from. No, trust, but, but verify. And sometimes we need to do that in our relationships as well. When there's been a history or a pattern of repeated violations of trust, like we still want to believe the best. We still want to assign value and honor to that person, but we've got to do it cautiously with appropriate boundaries, use wisdom, and verify that they are, that they are honoring their commitment to make, that, make themselves trustworthy. Listen, if we're going to really heal toxic relationships, then we need to be able to love people like Jesus has loved us. That's the commandment he gave us, right? A new commandment I give you, that you love other people as I have loved you. So in the same way that I have loved you, that's how I want you to love other people. And the apostle Paul describes what that love looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. In verse six, it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts. It's God's word. Always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. I love this verse because it says it does not delight in evil. Listen, love is not a blanket cover-up for bad behavior. It is not, it does not tolerate and it does not rejoice in toxic behavior. But it rejoices in the truth. It's going to insist on accountability. Like real love is not just like, oh, do whatever you want. No, it's like, it's, it's okay to be like, that's not okay. Rejoices with the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So love will bring Jesus into the relationship so that there can be trust. Gives you the ability to take a measured and appropriate step towards reestablishing trust again. And I love that it says, love always perseveres. For love to persevere, it implies that there are going to be some tough times that it has to persevere through. There are going to be some tough seasons that you might want to just say, you know what, this isn't worth it. I'm just, it's too much effort. I'm out. No, it perseveres. It sticks with it. I'm in it to the end. It perseveres. But again, trust takes time to rebuild. Trust is the currency in relationships. If honor is the gravity that brings people together, trust is the currency that's exchanged that keeps the relationship healthy and moving forward. So honor as the foundation with trust being built on top of it will go a long way towards healing a toxic relationship. 
And now we're ready for the third one, which is the tree of loyalty. Loyalty. Loyalty means I'm here. No matter what, I'm not going anywhere. I'm here for the long haul. The definition of loyalty is giving and showing constant support or allegiance. And you guys, this is the very character and nature of our God. In fact, it's his name, loyal. A few verses or a few chapters after the one that we read at the beginning of this message, Moses went up to Mount Sinai a second time. So they came to Mount Sinai where God called him up to the mountain and God gave him what we know as the 10 commandments, right? But Moses came down from the mountain and saw that the people had made a golden calf and were worshiping it and Moses got angry and he threw down the stone tablets, smashed them to pieces. But then God calls him back up the mountain and says, bring two fresh tablets. And so he goes up the mountain with two fresh tablets and it says, God descended in a cloud and met with Moses. And it tells us in Exodus 34 verse six that the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. This is basically a long introduction of this is who I am, Moses. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for a God of loyal love who is faithful to me even when I have been faithless, even when I've screwed up. He is faithful to me with a loyal love. Now I want you to notice how the other words in those verses that God uses to describe that loyal love, they're gonna put the verse back up on the screen. I just wanna quickly talk through some of these points. Loyalty, this loyal love is about compassion, which means merciful. It means showing feeling or sympathy or concern for others. Paul in Ephesians 4.32 tells us that we are to be kind and compassionate to one another. Loyalty is about grace. He's a gracious God. Grace is unearned favor. And if we wanna heal toxic relationships, then we're gonna have to extend some grace to people who may not have earned it. How many of you know we didn't earn or deserve the grace that God gave us either? That loyal love is slow to anger. That's patience. Love is patient. God is patient with us and we need to be patient with others. Listen to me, you guys. Healing toxic relationships is going to require a lot of patience. It's not going to be healed overnight. It's going to require patience on your part to stick with it, to trust God, to do the right things, and faithfulness. Our God is faithful and true. He is faithful even when we are not. He never gives up on us. And healing toxic relationships requires that we stick with it even when it gets hard. Faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit, you guys. We need to be faithful to the people that God has placed in our lives. Forgiving thousands. Forgiveness. Healing toxic relationships requires forgiveness. That verse in Ephesians, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. In other words, in the same way that God has forgiven you, you are to forgive other people. Loyalty, loyal love and relationships will require regular forgiveness. Look at what Jesus himself commands us in Luke 17. He said, watch yourselves. 
If another believer sins, rebuke that person. And we like that part. Listen, it is okay to call a person out, to say, hey, you crossed the line. Hey, that was hurtful. Hey, that offended me. We rebuke that person. But then if there is repentance, if they say, oh, my bad, I was wrong, I'm sorry, then Jesus says, forgive. But here's where it gets tough, verse four. Even if that person wrongs you the same way seven times a day, but each time turns around and says, I'm sorry, asks for forgiveness, Jesus said, you must forgive. That's where it gets tough, you guys, because for us, a lot of us are like, hey, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Right? We, we put distance in a relationship where people, you know, just seem to hurt us over and over again. But Jesus says, hey, listen, if a person continually asks for forgiveness, we have a responsibility to forgive that person. I want you to listen to me. Hear me on this. I will never have to forgive someone more than Jesus has forgiven me. So the next time you feel justified in withholding forgiveness from someone, I want you to think about the last time you needed God to forgive you of a sin that you've committed over and over and over again. How many times have we found our, ourselves in that place where we're like, God, I did it. I can't believe I did it again. I'm sorry, Lord, please forgive me. And every time we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And just as God has forgiven us in Christ, so we are to forgive one another. This is where it gets tough. Loyal love requires regular forgiveness. We need to be loyal to people who have wronged us because Jesus was loyal to us. He was loyal to his covenant to never leave us and never forsake us. To me, the cross is perhaps the greatest symbol of loyal love that God was willing to spare no expense. He went, he said, I'm willing to do anything, even lay down my life and die for you to make it possible for us to stay in relationship. That is loyal love. We didn't deserve that. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So when people offend you, when people sin against you, when people hurt you, I want you to remember the cross as a symbol of loyal love. And remember, that's how we've been called to love other people. My loyalty to Jesus and his gospel compels me to be loyal to those that he has placed in my life by demonstrating the same kind of love and forgiveness to them that he has extended to me. That's the gospel. So in closing, let me give you three quick practical ways for you to begin taking steps towards healing a toxic relationship. How do I heal a toxic relationship? Number one, start to honor every difficult person in your life by looking past the person, by looking past their behavior, and seeing the image of God in them. And think about the most difficult person in your life right now. Start with them. Ask God to show you how you can begin to see them the way he sees them. See them as a person made in his image. See them as a person that God has a unique plan and purpose for. And ask God to show you ways that you can begin to demonstrate in thought and word and in deed how you can honor that person and watch how the dynamic of the relationship will begin to change when you start to honor that person. Number two, use wisdom to place an appropriate amount of trust in every gap instead of suspicion. 
Remember, trust is built over time. But if you wanna heal a toxic relationship, then you're gonna need to stop assuming the worst and begin believing the best and placing trust every time there's a gap in someone's intentions and actions. Place trust in that. Again, with wisdom, place trust in those gaps. Number three, ask God to give you compassion, grace, patience, loyalty, and forgiveness. Listen, his love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, it says in Romans 5, which means because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we have a supernatural ability to love and forgive people who are difficult to forgive. And you'll begin to experience healing in your toxic relationships. Listen, again, I just wanna give a quick disclaimer as we close that healing a toxic relationship does not mean that that person is going to be your BFF and you're gonna do everything with them and share your you know, deepest, darkest secrets with them. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. For true healing to take place, it's going to require a willingness and steps on both people's parts to bring healing to that relationship. Like I said, toxic relationships are toxic for a reason. And you can do everything that I've told you to do in this message and the relationship may not be healed if that person is not in a place emotionally, mentally, spiritually, where they can do their part to bring healing. Maybe they need the Holy Spirit to heal some brokenness in them. Maybe they need some counseling. Maybe they're still broken. Only Jesus can heal toxic relationships. But Paul said, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you start with you. Don't worry about what they're doing or not doing. You do these things. Leave the rest up to the Holy Spirit. You be a person of honor. You be a person who believes the best about people. You be a person who expresses loyal love and faithfulness to people that God has placed in your life by loving and forgiving them the same way that Jesus has loved and forgiven you. You're not gonna be able to heal every toxic relationship, but you can right now choose to be a person that honors the image of God in everyone, that trusts people, and that expresses loyal love. Because listen, at the end of the day, this all comes back to Jesus. Only He heals. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the Lord, our healer. He is the one who put the tree of honor, the tree of trust, and the tree of loyal love in the middle of the toxic mess of our sin. When He hung upon that cross, with nails in his hands and his feet, a crown of thorn, thorns on his head, whipped to a bloody pulp, hanging there naked, hanging between two thieves who were toxic themselves, right? They probably had made a lot of bad choices, a lot of toxic behavior, broken trust with people, and yet one of them at some point realized who was hanging next to him when he turned to Jesus and he said, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus who hung there, paying for the sins of the people who placed him on that cross, listening to their insults and their mocking and ridiculing him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The same love that compelled Jesus to do what he did and say what he said 
lives in you and me. And that's a love that has the power to bring healing to any toxic relationship. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the cross, that miracle tree that brings healing to our toxic sin. Lord, the sin that creates thought patterns and behaviors that are toxic to a relationship. But Lord, I, I just pray that you would show us how we can throw the cross of Christ into every one of our relationships. And Lord, I pray that you would convict us of those times and in those places where we have not been a people of honor, where we have so casually dishonored people who have been made in your image. Lord, teach us how to reflect the kingdom that we are a part of, the kingdom of light, and to honor the image of God in everyone. Lord, I pray for the people in this room who are thinking about that relationship that feels broken beyond repair. And I just ask, Lord, for the grace and the faith to believe that nothing is beyond your reach. That you would give them the faith to just take one step at a time in obedience to what your word tells us to do and how it tells us to treat other people and trust you with the results. Obedience is our part. The outcome is yours. So Lord, we just place all of the relationships, all of the toxic relationships in our lives in your hands and ask you to give us the faith and the courage to just obey and to honor those people in our lives. To use wisdom and know how to put the appropriate amount of trust in the relationship and to be a people who express loyal love to those who may not deserve it, but Lord, we didn't deserve your grace either. Would we be as committed to the people you've placed in our lives as you, as you have been committed to us? Lord, bring healing, bring healing. We sing the song, this is a house of miracles. Lord, may we hear testimonies of the miracles that you've done in these toxic relationships as we walk in obedience to your word and give us patience to see that miracle come to fruition. It may not happen overnight like we want it to, but over time, Lord, I believe you can do anything. Before I say amen, I don't want to pass this opportunity up to extend the invitation to anyone who would say, you know what, my relationship with God is toxic. I know that I've got sin in my life that has kept me far from him and I feel far from God and I've not wanted to place my trust in him because I've been hurt by the church. I don't know what your reasons are, but this morning you know that the Holy Spirit is literally kind of standing at the door of your heart and knocking and he wants to come in. And maybe you're ready finally to open that door and say, I'm done fighting, I'm done resisting, I'm done running. Today I surrender my life to you. If that's you here with all heads bowed and eyes closed and you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and get right with God, would you just raise your hand all across this place and say, yeah, that's me. I wanna know that my sins have been forgiven. I see that hand over here up front on the left. I'm proud of you. Is there anybody else here today in the room? I see that hand in the center. God bless you, ma'am. Is there anybody else here today? If you're watching online, you can click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. You can make this decision right where you're sitting at home. Church, I don't want anyone praying alone, so will you join those who are surrendering their lives to Jesus right now? Say, Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my toxic sin. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. So Lord, cleanse me, wash me, make me new. I believe you're the son of God, that you died for my sin and that you rose again. And right now, I place my faith in you. I give you my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me the strength and the power to trust you, follow you, and serve you every day for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Church, can we put our hands together and make some noise and welcome those born into God's family today. That's what it's all about, you guys. Listen, I wanna take a quick minute to address those of you that said yes to Jesus. Can I be the first one to say congratulations on the most important decision you will ever make in your entire life and welcome to the family of God. You're our brother, you're our sister in the Lord, and we wanna come alongside of you on this new journey as you continue to take next steps in following Jesus. And so if you would do us a favor and grab the green I have decided card in the seat back pocket in front of you. And on the back side, just check the box that indicates the decision you're making today. And on your way out, you can hand that card to one of our Dream Team members at the information booth that wanna give you a Bible and some other resources that will help explain a little bit more about the decision you made today. And I'm just excited to be on this journey with you. Listen, I wanna encourage you guys to um, sign up for Serve Day today. This ends our series on relationships. I hope it's been helpful to you guys. Uh, as the Dream Team members are getting into position to serve you on your way out in just a moment, I want to show you a quick video of a brand new series that we're starting next Sunday that I'm really excited about. So turn your attention to the screen. Take a look at this. I am super excited to start Set the Table next week. You know, God has been growing our church with people from all walks of life and at all different stages of faith, from non-believers to new believers to mature believers. And I wanna encourage every person who considers Life Church Buffalo to be their home church, to make it a priority to be here for each of the three weeks of the series as we cast a vision. And you're gonna have a really clear understanding of who we are as a church and why we do what we do and why we do it the way we do it and how you can be a part of helping to set the table for people that God continues to draw and bring to the family of God here at Life Church Buffalo. Hope you guys have a great week. Don't forget to sign up for Serve Day this coming Saturday. I love you, church. Have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.